Welcome to episode three of the IT Pro Today podcast. I'm your host, Rich Hay. Along with me is... Michael Morrissey. Michael Morrissey. All right, good to have you back, Michael. I know we missed you in episode two when we did the interview with uh, Lorian about uh, Office 365 and stuff because you were away. But um, good to have you back. Good to be back with episode three for everybody. want to remind everybody as we get started, though, that IT Pro Today is sponsored in part by IT Dev Connections 2017. IT Dev Connections is a conference. It's a deep dive, very technical conference that's designed for IT pros, developers, and where you, where you get well beyond the headlines, well beyond the marketing pamphlet. And you get real in-depth on these all the kind of subjects that are important to you all as IT pros and developers. This year, instead of in Las Vegas, it's going to be held in San Francisco, and it will be held in late October. I, I forget the start date. I think it's like 23 October or something like that. But if you are a listener of IT Pro Today, you can actually save $100 off your conference pass already just by using the code POD100, P-O-D-100. And if you go to itdevconnections.com, that's where you can use that code at when you register. So hopefully we'll see you out there. It's going to be a great conference. It's going to be a new venue, which will be a lot of fun to kind of explore and check out. So, Michael, uh, I was, you know, before we started, we were talking, and uh, it's the 10-year anniversary of the iPhone. It, first off, for me, it doesn't seem like 10 years. It seems like it's kind of always been around, you know, because it was kind of the catalyst that started the whole smartphone thing, right? Well, it's, it started so many things. It started the smartphone thing. It started the consumerization of IT. Mm. It started tech being cool among your, your sort of average consumer. I mean, I, I think you look back at so many trends that have reshaped, uh, you know, our industry specifically, but just the way people operate. Um, and it, it really has, it seems like it's been around forever. Yeah. But, you know, back 10 years ago, I was covering uh well now blackberry then just rim and yeah. uh you know i got a chance to sit down with mike lazaretis who is the then co-ceo and you know at least publicly and i think maybe privately you know later lately they've said oh we knew it was time but i, I don't think they did and yeah i and don't know anybody really did it professionals back then and, and people just said no if i remember i was interviewing one it guy and i said well you know what happens when you're you know somebody starts using an iphone for work stuff because this was back before they had any security right. on that right they had any you know it was it was sort of pure consumer just brought in right and the it guy said you know if anybody ever tries to bring an iphone into my business i'm getting them fired <laughs> and uh i think he's lost that battle now. i was gonna I say that go back and check lost. in with him yeah you know, it's funny when you look back, you know, uh, this today and a couple, you know, over the course of this week, everybody's been talking about the 10 year anniversary of the iPhone. But when you go back and you look, it really lacked a lot of the capabilities that are inherent in smartphones now. Uh, it didn't do one of the things I didn't even realize it didn't do MMS. It didn't do multimedia type me text messages where you could send a picture to somebody or something of that matter. You know, it was only SMS based text. Me didn't have GPS in the device. I mean, today, I don't think we'd ever think about buying a phone that didn't have GPS. But like you said, it really started the, the ball rolling on so many different levels. I'm trying to remember what I was using in 07, and it had to have been like Windows Mobile 6.0 or 6.5 or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it had to have been something in that ballpark. Um, you know, a start menu and a task manager on a mobile device, I mean, and a full mm -hmm. keyboard. So yeah, I think you're right. Where we're at today, you know, everybody likes to point back to certain certain events in time, <clears throat> excuse me, and say, well, that was why. And if it wasn't for this, it w we wouldn't be here. And and iPhone is probably that we moved away from flip phones. You know, the the plain black and white text 
and screens that we were looking. I can remember sitting in the car on a flip phone and reading web pages, trying to read web pages, and it really changed the way we do stuff. And now, how much stuff do you do on the go now compared to back then? Oh my good! I mean, I, I feel like my my mobile phone is my primary office, and I just take it wherever you know. And, yep. and I for long writing for a lot of other things that. Uh, the laptop is still uh, still king. But right, I, no, agreed you know, there. The phone. And I, I think, you know, and I think it's interesting, I think it's a little bit humbling for, for you know, technology followers like us, because I think, you know, it, it really was true that the iPhone was worse in a lot of ways right. than a lot of other technology. You know, the one thing I still miss from my BlackBerry Bold was, you know, you could go three, four days without charging. Oh, it. no kidding. <laughs> yeah, battery life started to die fast after the iPhone. You know, and and the keyboard is bad. Like you mentioned, no MMS, no copy-paste. Remember, it took like a year and a half That's before right. copy yep. and paste. <laughs> yep. You know, but Man. it's it's sometimes things can be worse in a lot of ways and better in just a right. few ways. Right. And still, still upend the marketplace. And I no think- kidding, and they did, and they they certainly. I mean, they never overcome Android, obviously, but you know they they have they have their spot, and I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon between those top two. You know, it's funny that you know I, somebody else shared a tweet this week that was talking about security with the iPhone, and in ten years. Uh, this is, I, I think it was a guy from F Secure or something like that, and he's, his comment was that in 10 years, the platform's never seriously been breached in any way whatsoever. So while a lot of people want to knock on, <clears throat> excuse me, knock on Apple for many, many different things, they built a very secure platform. And, you know, when you can go 10 years without your platform ever having a very serious attack on it, that's a pretty good achievement. And especially in the light of this week's news and the, you know, what we're going to talk about here is, you know, another global ransomware kind of outbreak. And now that we're a few days past it and, you know, there's there's all the different uh, perspectives being published about it and talk about it and they're finding out more about it. But what I'm talking about here is Petya. So um, what day was it? Was it Tuesday, I guess, that I started to see the screens pop up on Twitter. Anyway, a, a typical, it started over in Europe, in, in Eastern Europe, uh, Ukraine, Germany, Russia, Brazil, Germany, um, I said Germany, uh, 64 total countries is what the estimate is based on some data Microsoft shared. And 12,500 machines in the Ukraine alone first got that infection. Now, a lot of people tied it to what we just talked about, I think, on our first round table was... Um, Want to cry and you know updating systems and, and we can talk about that in a minute. But a lot of people believed it was very similar to that. It had some very similar characteristics. But one thing that this had very different was is that once it got in your network, it went sideways. So you know it, it gets in and then it starts to replicate itself across your network through other, uh, for instance, IT pros who might use local admin rights on a login account because it's easier and more convenient to access other machines, right? So that allowed that thing to spread very quickly within organizations through a single hole, through a single channel, and then it just popped up and went everywhere. So um, we've got some good coverage on this. Um, on SuperSight for Windows, we wrote about it and talked about it being maybe preventable. And then Nicole Henderson over on IT Pro wrote a great wrap-up yesterday that kind of brought everything together because with the hindsight of, of 48 hours of looking at it, it looks like Petya might not have been exactly ransomware more so than it was an attempt to disrupt and throw things off track and it certainly did that based on what we saw absolutely absolutely and i think that's that's you know i think 
it, this does feel a little bit like a flashback to episode one, yep. you know, discussing these kinds of breaches, discussing what people should have been doing differently, discussing how we really need to, to stop dragging your feet, stop pinching pennies when it comes to upgrades, when it comes to hardening your security, when it comes to just just getting the blocking and tackling right when it comes to basic IT hygiene steps. We all know what needs to be done. We all know that we can't afford to delay on patching. We all know that you know we can't can't still be on Windows 7. We can't be on Windows XP. We can't um, you know take these shortcuts of, of leaving right. too much too many files as writable. And um, you know we we know these things. The industry has known this for years, yep. and uh, it feels like. Now, after years of of kind of people crying wolf about here's the potential, uh, you know the the wolves are here. They're here, um, yeah. They're in the hen house. That I mean, it you know, and, and this isn't going to stop. I mean, this was a variation on an older uh, piece of ransomware called Petcha. It was a the Win32 Petcha. But what they did with this by turning it into having that worm capability where it kind of went up and, and went across organizations, that's why it infected so many places so quickly um, because once it hit one, it just replicated out and hit the others. And this one had a very unique – I mean, it was set up as ransomware, so when when people saw the screen, it said your files are encrypted. Um, but as I understand, what I've read about this is it did things a little – instead of just encrypting like the master boot rec or – I, what was no it was the files themselves so in the past with ransomware the tendency was to encrypt the files allow the system to still function so people could still reboot it and, and vice versa but they would still get presented the the uh, what do you call it the uh the ransom screen and um this one in fact the email that they set up to get those deposits i guess of bitcoin they were asking for like three hundred dollars in bitcoin from every person um one, the email address was canceled within just a, a handful of hours. So emails weren't going anywhere. The company who owned the email domain canceled the account. The uh, And then the other thing that Petya, this version of Petya, did differently than past is it, it encrypted the beginning of each, but it also did the master boot record. So the big signal for this one was if your computer rebooted and looked like it was doing a disk check, that was a cover for Petya taking action, for Petya doing its initial steps and get ready to present you with the ransom. And now people can't even can't even go off and ransom. They can't even go pay because the email address is dead. And so there's one of the things Nicole picked up on was that uh, maybe this wasn't meant to be a ransom type evolution. Maybe this was truly meant to disrupt things, and it certainly did. We talked it what we saw: energy companies, oil companies, shipping companies, as well as just general consumer services, gas, shopping. All those kind of things were heavily impacted in Eastern Europe, especially in the Ukraine. But, you know, this is so that brings into a whole new ball of wax that that these guys were were sponsored by somebody to do this. And I, I won't get into saying who did what or who pointed who where. But, you know, this is the kind of the business model these days for this type of thing is that they want to disrupt things. They want to cause havoc. And this is one way to do it because we are so dependent on technology as opposed to the way we were 10 years ago when the iPhone came Absolutely, out. absolutely. And I, I think one of the things that, you know, I think in our, our first episode when we talked about WannaCry, WannaCrypt, yep. we talked about sort of the responsibility of IT professionals yep. and sort of how we need to start investing more and we need to, sorry about that, we need to start investing more, we need to start, you know, stop making excuses. Now I think it's it's also time we need to, to sort of have a real serious discussion about uh, governmentally. I mean, th- these are essentially 
uh, at least approaching, if not actually, acts of war. Yeah. So here no. we have nation states yep. attacking other nation states, um, yep. putting a thin veneer of credibility on there that it's, oh, this is just a a ploy for money, but not even trying that hard right. to make it look like yeah. a ploy for money. Exactly. And causing a lot of damage. And I think, do we need sort of stronger enforced uh, international norms around hacking attacks? And if we had those, how do we do attribution? Right. Um, you know, and, and how well prepared are we as a country to defend our businesses and defend our, our critical infrastructure against similar attacks? Yeah, and and by all accounts, we're not. Yeah. And it's, like you said, it's not a matter of, of if it's going to happen, it's a matter of when. when and right. when these attacks are turned on our businesses and our infrastructure, it, you know, it, it happened to Sony. Yep. Uh, you know, it, and it's going to happen again. And, and what happens when it attacks the infrastructure? We've known about these infrastructure problems for years. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't take much imagination to, to kind of see what happened, um, you know, getting tweaked a little bit and being redeployed and, and right. causing a lot of damage and, and maybe even costing some lives. Well, well that's kind of the mode that some of these guys operate on is they take something old, add a few lines of new code to kind of twist it up, and then they start it all over again. And, uh, and I think you're right, and it, it gets back to that kind of core question. You know, I, I think I wrote about this the other day when I wrote my story about this, but, you know, if, if you're in an organization and, and your policy is to not immediately apply security updates because you're going to evaluate them, that's fine. I get that, but here's the issue with that delay, is that the day those things are published, the bad guys know the fixes are in. And so... And now they got a little bit more of it because they publish them because there's now a fix. You know, the companies behind those issues publish, you know, details about that attack vector. And they don't go into great detail, but somebody who's smart enough with IT or with technology can figure the things out. And they do. They know this stuff. And so you're evaluating in the kind of critical window of when most likely the attacks are going to get ramped up because they're going to go looking for the places that aren't patched. Uh, now that there is a patch out about it. So it, it, it's a dangerous kind of move. And I, I think I said, you know, are you willing to bet your business on this? You know, I, I'm of the mind that the policy should be you patch security stuff right away. You've got to. I don't think there's much waiting for the security stuff, especially in the last. I mean, just look at the last few months. The, one, the whole SMB V1 thing that was responsible for WannaCrypt, that was partly responsible for Petya. And here's this. After WannaCrypt happened, we got lucky, right? That guy in the UK registered a domain name that was in the code of the, the ransomware, and it killed the ransomware almost in its tracks. Well, did everybody just stop patching then? Because we should if this is exposing the same vulnerability, using the same vulnerability, it, why wasn't everybody patched after WannaCrypt? Yeah, and I think that's, that's a great segue into... Uh, you know, what you wanted to talk about with, with Microsoft, you know, up in their, you know, what they're calling their end-to-end security. Yep. And, you know, in talking about modernizing uh, IT and, and modernizing how security is delivered. And I think this is this is going to be a really interesting existential question that the industry is going to have to grapple with over the next few years. Because uh, chief security officers, security professionals used to be very... Um, particular about where security was implemented and who they trusted. And, right. you know, for decades, the rule has been if it's not on premise, if I'm not the only one with the keys, then it's not secure. Mm. Yeah, I think it's very quickly changing to 
no matter how good you are, if you are not Microsoft, if you are not Google, if you are not maybe Amazon, um, or one of the biggest, biggest, biggest players in the space, you don't have the internal expertise, the internal time and attention and buy-in to properly protect your enterprise. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people are, don't agree with that. A lot of people want more input into strategy and implementation and, and I think there's a lot of good reasons to to not trust a lot of the largest secure uh, largest technology companies. Um, but I think the reality is is that there's so many threats that there's such a broad landscape of attackers that it's going to be harder and harder not to at least have one of the major technology companies at, at least be a strong partner in your security. Right. right. Some kind of hybrid kind of partner. setup or something. Yeah. And yeah. You, you still need that security expertise in house. Agreed. But. But I think this this is where I think a lot of what Microsoft's doing, a lot of the investments they're making, um, it's going to be painful and uncomfortable for a while. But yep. I think it's it should be really interesting to watch how what does it mean to be a, a, in charge of security at your company five right. years from now, two right. years from now, six months from now. Yeah, it's I tell you, the one thing Microsoft has done with Windows 10 in every iteration, so the initial release in July of 2015, the November update, the anniversary update last year, the creators update in April of this year, and now the upcoming, what you referred to, the fall creators update, Microsoft is investing even more in in endpoint security. And both on an enterprise level and a consumer level, because, and I don't have the numbers right at the end of my fingers, but um, Microsoft, you know, Microsoft has their own global monitoring, security monitoring center, right? They are always watching for activity like something like Petya or WannaCrypt. And they, they've got the, you know, they're learn, using tools like machine learning and artificial intelligence, which they've built into Azure to be able to give people access to tools to, to not only detect these things anymore. There, it was all, you've always had the ability to detect with a good piece of antivirus software that's up to date. But now they can even detect, they not only detect it, but investigate it, find out where it came into your system at, and deal with that by isolating that machine with the push of a button. Whereas used to be, you'd have to sneak or you know, run over to that machine if you could even know what machine it came in on and identify it and shut it down and, you know, go through the process of cleaning it up. But, and and the things they announced this week, it was a two-part announcement they did. They talked about new uh, security features that are going to be in Windows 10 Fall Creators Update that uh, are helping, so Windows Device Application Guard upgrades and enhancements, and then a new one called Windows uh, Windows Defender Exploit Guard. It's actually, if you're familiar with EMET, which was the... uh, uh, what they call that, the mitigation toolkit that they have, that similar tool for being able to detect and deal with infections or attacks and things like that and shut them down and and get things cleaned up. Well, they're actually going to build that. It was going away, and now they've decided, based on feedback from customers, it's going to be built into the endpoints, built into Windows 10. And, in fact, they just released a build this week uh, for Windows 10 uh, Fall Creators Update, the testing version, build 1622, or 16232 that actually it didn't have a whole lot of consumer features and it. it had all these things so that enterprises can start testing that and be able to check those things out and use them and in fact you can um, they've set things up to help protect even if you've got really sensitive folders there's now a setting to be able to have a protected folder that will not be written you know it'll be protected from any kind of a ransomware attack 
and they do. Microsoft makes this investment not just in the software side, but in the in the cloud side of things for detection and investigation and isolation and dealing with these things on a daily basis. And like I said, they're doing it twenty four seven, watching their networks. So, and you know, they they have they can show numbers that showed that you know how the Windows ten endpoints that were updated didn't have an issue with this recurrence. You know, when Petya came out. Yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, Microsoft, like you said, they're investing a lot of money. They announced that they're going to invest a billion dollars in, in sort of security and infrastructure. Oh, right, yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think they're in an interesting place because, you know, a lot of these attacks obviously targeting Microsoft products, but most of those Microsoft products, pretty old, pretty pretty yeah. much beyond their, yeah. their support window here. And I know a lot of people are, are sort of saying Microsoft should be doing more. Well, they're, they're putting a lot of money. They're trying to change fundamental models here. Yeah. Um, you know, and you got to give them credit. The last two months, you know, for WannaCrypt and this SMBV1 issue, they released updates to their unsupported Windows systems, XP and uh, Windows Vista. So they even patched systems they didn't really have to patch. In fact, the, the, the SMBV1 patch was available in April, even before WannaCrypt. And yet, right. WannaCrypt kind of ran wild until that guy just by chance registered a domain name and killed it in its tracks. And so you've got that. And then, oh, by the way, Microsoft is in uh, Windows 10 Fall Creators Update. They have decided to, I guess they've been doing a multi year kind of approach to getting rid of SMB v1. It kind of blows me away that that is still needed 30 years later. But the um, there are some people out there using stuff on their networks that don't work yep. with anything but that. And SMB stands for Service Server Message Block. It's a communications right. protocol. And so it's how some hardware talks to other hardware on a network. Well, SMB1 is the old one. That's the 30 years old. And so for Windows 10 and the Fall Creators Update, they've released this news, I think, earlier this week, is that SMB V1 by default will be uninstalled. Uh, now, if it's an upgrade client, so if you're upgrading and you have SMB V1 turned on, it will remain on. Uh, they're, they're doing that so people don't lose connectivity to something they may need. But here's the reality. If you're on hardware that old that has no other option but SMB V1, and this is all part of that modernization you mentioned, you know, that you have to modernize your IT, is you need to get rid of the old hardware that doesn't use, you know, modern-day protocols. You're hurting yourself on so many levels there from a performance perspective as well as a security perspective. So for me, it's, it's, it's a Western Digital MyCloud file server I use here in my house. It is not SMB v1 compatible. And, oh, no, I'm sorry. It is, and it has no other options. And they're not gonna, mm-hmm. it's out of warranty, and they're not going to support it anymore. So, yeah, you know, I'm a consumer, so I have to knuckle down and find an alternative for that at some point. But I've gone ahead and turned off SMB v1 on all my devices just to be on the safe side. Even though I'm all updated and I'm protected and I feel secure, I went ahead and did it just to have it off. And so one of the stories I did at Supersite this week, I've got links to instructions on how to do that. Uh, There are PowerShell scripts to be able to do this if you're on a PowerShell level and you want to do it on multiple machines. There are uh, group policy options to be able to shut this off on your networks if you use group policy as well. So there are options out there for IT pros to use to secure themselves and harden themselves even more against a possible recurrence of this because after two of these, if people aren't patching left, right, and center, I, I although I know it's going to happen, there are going to be people out there that aren't. But if you're not already developing a plan and wiping your brow and going, whoo, we got lucky again, 
you need to be developing a plan for doing these things and hardening your endpoints because otherwise you're just going to constantly be vulnerable. Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, I want to remind everybody as we're wrapping up here about Data Center World. If you've never heard of Data Center World, it's a global conference for data center facilities and IT professionals. And it's one of our sponsors for the show, IT Pro Today. And it's going to happen this year in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Not this year, I'm sorry, this is March of next year. Uh, It's an annual conference, and it's an opportunity to kind of discover ways to deal with real-world data center problems. I was up in New York um, last week for Lenovo's big data center launch, their new portfolio and stuff like that. Data centers are getting very modern, just like consumer technology is, taking advantage of all that stuff. So there's a lot to be learned. Uh, It's a great way to network, as I mentioned, and meet others in the same field. So if you're interested in that, go visit datacenterworld.com and check out for that, and you can register from that site as well. So a reminder to everybody, you'll find show notes and links to all the articles around our discussion today at windowsitpro.com. When the show goes up, should go up tomorrow. Well, for uh, actually, we're recording this on Thursday the 29th, so tomorrow is Friday the 30th. Um, so it'll go up online, and you'll see all of that. There's also links there to find past episodes and we now have a means for you to be able to subscribe by rss feed so if you've got a podcatcher or something like that we have an rss feed that you can put in there and you'll get all of our episodes running down the road so uh any final words michael yeah i mean we just would love to hear from you uh if you're out there listening we'd, we'd love to get your feedback we're on twitter at windows id pro um or you can email me at michael.morrissey at penton.com um, and we'd love to hear uh, thoughts on the show, what kind of guests you'd like us to have, what topics you'd like us to cover. Uh, we're having a great time doing this and, and really appreciate you giving us a listen, subscribing and share it and uh, rate us on uh, whatever podcast app you use. Ah, perfect. Yeah, I was going to uh, you. You took most of the words right out of my mouth. The real important thing at Windows IT Pro where you can reach out to us. Um, I am at rich.hay, H-A-Y, at penton.com for contact purposes. And we did shift things up a little bit. You're going to notice when this show goes live is that in order to kind of maximize our timing, we've decided to go with a roundtable show and then an interview show. So if you've got ideas, either, you know, the roundtable is typically going to be current events because it's a great way to kind of focus. And then our interview shows, you know, we want to bring you more interviews like we did with Lorian about Office 365. We want to talk about IT pro subjects, things that worry you guys day in, day out that you want to hear more about from the experts. So if you got some ideas on that, reach out to me or Michael either way through Twitter or through our email addresses. Or you can even comment on the show page when you're listening to the podcast. So thanks again, Michael, for uh, coming on board. We're glad to have you back with us. And we will uh, see everybody next time for Episode 4. So stay safe. And please, please, please get your systems up to date. Take care. Amen. Take care. (laughs) 